You're listening to teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to MidtownColumbia.com. Thanks, Brandon. Hey, how are we doing this morning? Good. Well, as Brandon said, thank you for that introduction, by the way. That's a first. As Brandon said, I'm a pastor in training at our downtown church. I help with teaching stuff. But even though I'm downtown, I feel like I'm kindred spirits with you all at Lexington. I have three kids. So I know for some of y'all, most parents here in this room have like on average eight to 10 kids. So you're like three kids. That's nothing. I wish I'd just had three kids. But uh, yeah, good to be with y'all this morning. Uh, Happy to be here and open up the Bible with y'all. If you have a Bible, turn to Psalm 147. That's where we'll be this morning. And as you're turning there, a brief recap of our sermon series and what we're talking about. We're in this series, Worthy, and we're looking at different attributes of God. And each week, looking at a different attribute and really seeing the depth of it and what does that mean for us and how does that lead us to a deeper reverence for God. So Psalm 147 will be in that and we'll be talking about God's omniscience, the idea that he knows everything. But before we jump into the text, I wanted to share with you uh, this fun bit of uh, this fun story I found out in doing my sermon research. Did you know Star Trek Voyager 20 years ago helped Obama become president? Let me repeat that again. Star Trek Voyager 20 years ago helped Obama become president. So here was the the connections. Someone on on the internet made all these little connect the dot points. And he said, well, 20 years ago, Star Trek Voyager was out and it wasn't getting a lot of attention. Uh, After so many seasons, the ratings were just kind of plummeting. And so what happened is uh, the writers were desperate. They wrote in this new character played by actress Jerry West. Jerry West at the time was married to this man named I'm sorry, uh, Jerry Ryan. Jerry Ryan was married to this uh, man named Jack Ryan. So in 1997, Jerry Ryan went to go film for Star Trek Voyager. And in the two years from 97 to 1999, the show started to take off. But she had to be in Hollywood filming her show. And she was uh, separated from her husband just geographically from Jack in those two years because she was so busy. And during that time, they fell out of touch. They fell out of love. And in 1999, they divorced. Jerry Ryan and Jack Ryan divorced in 1999, with the big reason being geographically, they were just totally apart. And that's why they divorced. 2004, so five years later, Jack Ryan is the nominee for uh, this open Senate seat in Illinois. He's the Republican nominee. He's the, the favorite to win. And during the campaign, the proceedings from Ryan's divorce became public. And it contained all these details about how he had these extramarital affairs in those two years from 97 to 99 when him and his wife were geographically separated. And so all this information came out. He had these extramarital affairs, uh, very graphic in detail. It did not look good. It was really embarrassing for him. And this scandal forced Jack Ryan to drop out of the Senate race in July, leaving the GOP time to only find token opposition to Democratic nominee Barack Obama. 
So there was Jack Ryan was the favorite. He had to drop out months before the election, which totally just made the, the path open for Barack Obama to just come in there. And he won by a landslide victory, the Senate race in 2004. That they- Are we all right? I just wanted you all to make sure you're paying attention. This is very fascinating. If at any point I find that you all are drifting, we're just going to shock you with some feedback. Obama's landslide victory in the Senate race helped launch him onto the national stage, allowing him to pull off an upset victory in the 2008 Democratic primary and helping him win the presidential election. So how about that? Star Trek Voyager 20 years ago helped Obama become president. Now you might be thinking, what does this have anything to do with the Bible? We'll get there. Just wait. I promise we'll connect the dots and then you'll see, oh, I see what you did. But for now, Psalm 147 verses one through six. I'll go ahead and read that for us again. It says, praise the Lord for it is good to sing praises to our God for it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble and he casts the wicked to the ground. So what I want us first to see is in verses two and three, the psalmist, he says how the Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel, that line gathering the outcasts of Israel, referring back to the Exodus narrative. And this happens a lot in the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms. When you want to think about how great and how good God is, the authors of the Old Testament will often look back in the past saying, look, look what God did. Remember Remember when he did this? And because of what he has done in the past, that should fuel us to hope in him right now, hope in him for the future because of how good he is and what he has done for us in the past. And then in verse five, the psalmist lists out some attributes for us to notice. In verse five, he says, great is our Lord, abundant in power, referring, referring to his omnipotence, which y'all went over uh, a few weeks ago. And then in the second half of verse five, it says, his understanding is beyond measure. Other translations say his understanding is infinite. This idea of there is no containing all the things that God knows. There is no limit to all the things that God knows. Isaiah chapter 40 expresses a similar idea. It says, who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? In other words, no one can teach God anything. God is never surprised by anything. He knows all that ever was, all that ever will be from the beginning of time to the end of time, all at the same time. He knows everything. And just so that you see exactly what we are talking about this morning when it comes to God's omniscience, I really want to build my case for a moment. There was a study that was done maybe just a couple years ago. It's online. You can look it up. But the study showed that in the year 1900, it surveyed all of the information that we have ever created up into that point, up into the year 1900. And the study showed at the rate that uh, human information was was coming out, it would take about 100 years for all of that information up to that point to double in size. 
So for all of hum, human information up to, to the year 1900, it would take about 100 years for all of that information that ever was to double in size based off the amount of information people were putting out at that time. Cut to 1945, and the rate of information was growing exponentially, technological advance, advancement, population growth, to where the same study predicted for all of that human information to double in size, it would not take 100 years, it would only take 25 years. Cut to 1982, rise of the computers, this thing called Apple came out. Again, population growth, globalization. Everyone thought we would have flying cars by now. Unfortunately, we don't. I'm a little sad by that, but we can keep moving on. The study showed that the human information at that point in 1982, for all of that to double in size, it would happen only in one year. Only one year for all of that to double in size. We now live in 2019 where everyone owns, on average, multiple smart devices, laptops, iPhones. We can create our own information at any given point throughout the day with pictures, with selfies, with cat videos we load onto YouTube, with tweets, with Facebook posts. Uh, in order, so all of that, in order for all of that information to double in size, uh, it happens once every 12 hours. Once every 12 hours for all of the information we have to double in size. Which means as you go to bed tonight and you fall asleep to where when you wake up tomorrow and go to work, all of the human information that existed before you went to bed will have doubled in size. And this is a little insane to think about because all of us thrive to live on the most up-to-date relevant information. We rely on it for our survival. We rely on the most up-to-date information out there. Think about if you saw footage from like uh, things in the 1950s, maybe you would see like black and white stock footage of doctors smoking cigarettes with their patients in their office. It's like, uh, no, why would you do that? That seems unwise, but people didn't know. They didn't have the information back then. Or every building, it seemed like. We just put loads of asbestos in there, just loads and loads of it. But now we know better. It's like, why would we do that? Of course not. Or all the paint we made back then just had lots of lead in there. And now we know better. It's like, of course we don't put lead in paint. We know better. We have the most up-to-date information, of course. But with all the rapid rate of information out there constantly doubling, it's impossible to actually filter through and decipher what's the best thing for you. Someone out there right now could have theoretically discovered some life-altering tech to increase the human lifespan. Someone could have discovered out there that gluten actually is really good for you. But the thing is, we just don't know because there's so much information constantly getting pumped out. And with all of it, it might never see the light of day. And yet when we talk about God's omniscience, he knows everything. He knows all the information that ever was or ever will be. He knows every human invention. He knows every discovery. He knows all the things uh, that you have yet to tweet or post out there. He knows all of it. He already understands. He already comprehends. This is a category that we just can't even comprehend because we thrive on, 
on learning in order to navigate our lives. We spend the first 18, maybe even 20 some odd years just learning things in order to navigate our world. And yet when it comes to God, God never learns. He is never surprised by anything in the slightest. Now that's just information out there, but let's talk about you for a second. According to God's omniscience, God actually knows you better than you know yourself. God knows you better than you know yourself. Matthew chapter 10 reads, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. He knows every strand on your head at any given moment. Think about when you comb your hair, when you get a haircut. God knows at any given moment how many hairs are on your head. And for me, like, I don't know about you. I don't know if you happen to know how many hairs are on your head. But just speaking from personal experience, I sure don't. Like, I know I have some gray hairs that I'm very self-conscious about that I don't like talking about. I know those exist, but God knows every given hair on your head at any given moment. Think about the seven and a half billion people on the planet, and God knows at any given moment how many hairs are on their head. But it goes even deeper than that. God doesn't just know all the minute external things about you. God even knows the internal things about you. He knows how you're wired and how you are ticked. First Chronicles 28.9, the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. God's omniscience means he knows your wiring. He knows your inward motivations. He knows your every thought. He knows your every desire. He not only sees every action of ours, but he knows why we did every action that we did. He knows the forces and conditions that lead up to any action we do at any given moment. Now, again, I don't know you guys, but speaking from personal experience, I sure don't know all of my inward desires and motivations behind why I do and say the things that I do at every second of the day. You might, and that's awesome, teach me, but I know from personal experience, I sure don't right? Most of my life, I'm just kind of operating on this mental autopilot. I think my motives are good and pure, and I'm just living my life, doing my thing, but then someone will confront me, a a brother or sister in our church family or in our life group, and they'll approach me and maybe say something like, hey, did you know when you said this, it came across this way? And every time I'm always like, no, I had no idea that's what was going on because I operate on mental autopilot or I'm in life group and we're confessing sin to one another. And it comes to my time and and I'll confess, yeah, uh, today was really hard. I I yelled at the kids. So I just want to confess that. And then someone will ask me, well, why did you yell to your kids? And I'll say, because they yelled at me. Like, what? Yeah, but like, what's underneath that? What was, what was the desire at war within your heart, which made you want to respond to your kids in that way? It's like, oh, yeah, I knew this question was coming, but I don't know. And there's so much about my own life, the things that I do, say, think, these inward motivations that I don't know most of the time because I'm on autopilot, but this is the standard operating procedure for how we live our lives. We rarely take the time to analyze who we are and why we do the things that we do. I think this is in part why we are so fascinated as a culture by personality tests. 
And I'm not just talking about the BuzzFeed quizzes, like which Disney prince or princess are you? I'm talking like Enneagram, Myers-Briggs, am I an INFP? Am I an ENTJ? What's my Enneagram number? If I just knew my number, I would really know more about myself. Am I a one wing nine? Am I a nine wing one? Am I one nine nine one? Gosh, I really need to know this to know more about myself. But when it comes to all of that, now, not knocking any of those things. They're very helpful. We use that in our leadership development, in our discipleship. We use them quite a bit. But when it comes to personality tests, we're simply just scratching the surface of what God really knows about us. God knows what makes us tick, and it's way more complex than a simple Enneagram number. God knows us better than we know ourselves. God knows things about our past he knows things about our present that are radically shaping and influencing us right now. But based off his omniscience, we will never learn about that. We'll never discover that about ourselves. God knows you better than you do. He knows who you are and how you are and why you are and where you came from and how it impacts you. All this to say you are not the expert on you. You are not the expert on you. God is. Let's just let that soak in for a second. You think you know yourself, but you have no idea. God's the expert on you. Or when we talk about God's omniscience, let's get really uncomfortable for a sec. By the way, glad you're here. Welcome to church this morning. Sorry if this is a bummer. I'm, I'm the new guy. So just blame it on the new guy that came from downtown and just like ruined your day. But when it comes to God's omniscience, thinking about his unlimited knowledge, that means he knows your future and not just your future. He knows all of the infinite possibilities that your future holds. We actually see a glimpse of this in the Bible in 1 Samuel chapter 23. It's this really fascinating narrative where David is on the run from King Saul. And David knows if Saul captures him, that Saul is going to put him to death. So David is on the run from Saul and David prays to God and he asks God, should I flee to the city? If I flee into the city, will Saul capture me if this happens? And God answers David, David's prayer and he tells David, yes, if you go into that city, Saul is going to capture you. So David then does something else. He runs to a different city, which is really fascinating. And the Bible doesn't dwell on it too much, but God knew a future possibility. God knew what could have happened in David's life had he made this one decision. And so you think about that. It was a future possibility that God knew that actually did not end up happening. It's fascinating. So to put the same concept in a different way, how many of you, maybe in ninth grade English class, you ever read that short story by Ray Bradbury, The Sound of Thunder? Anybody? Okay. More readers than our downtown church. I, I did this and there was like one person. Uh, what about the movie Butterfly Effect? Any of you familiar with that? Yeah. Movies are 
often better than the book. But the sound of thunder, it was this idea of all of these infinite possibilities of what could happen. And the sound of thunder, it's set in the distant future. Humanity just invented this time machine, and this group of people go 60 million years into the past. And it's this whole idea of stay on the path, don't disrupt anything, don't step on anything, don't break any branches, because if you do, even though it's really minute and subtle, it could have this cataclysmic effect millions of years into the future. So just stay on the path, don't touch anything. And the story goes on to explain, for example, if you were to step on a mouse and kill it, then you've also killed all the offspring that that mouse was going to produce. And if you killed off this whole line of mice, then there's a fox out there who's going to starve to death because there's a shortage of food for him to eat. So not only do you inadvertently kill off that fox, you kill off all the offspring that that fox was going to have. So now there's a fox shortage and there's going to be a lion out there somewhere who's going to starve to death because there's uh, fewer foxes out there and that fox is going to starve to death. But not only that is that, I'm sorry, the lion going to starve to death, but all of the lines that that lion was going to produce is, are never going to come about. And if there's a shortage of lions, then there's a caveman out there who's going to starve to death and die. And if this one caveman dies, then a whole race of people millions of years from now will never come into existence. So the short story goes on to say, destroy this one man, you destroy a race, a people, an entire history of life. The stomp of your foot on one mouse could start an earthquake, the effects of which could shake our earth and destinies through time to their very foundations. With the death of one caveman, a billion others yet unborn are throttled in the womb. Step on a mouse and you leave your print like a Grand Canyon across eternity, and there might never be a United States at all. All that to say, the tiniest, most inconsequential actions that you do in your life right now in 2019 could very well have cataclysmic consequences thousands of years from now that could either save or destroy human life as we know it. Again, welcome to church. We're so glad you're here. So all these tiny insignificant things could have uh, huge consequences in the future. You could have been a writer on Star Trek Voyager 20 years ago, and you helped Obama become president. And that's the aha moment. Oh, the intro. Anyway, to put it more personally, let's say you go into work tomorrow and you decide to get a cup of coffee in the break room. And while you're getting this cup of coffee in the break room, your coworker who sits at the desk next to you gets a surprise phone call that their sister is in town, so they go out to lunch. But if you were sitting at your desk at that moment when your coworker got that surprise phone call, he would have invited you out to lunch, and you would have met his sister, and you guys would have hit it off, you would have been great friends, and he would have she would have introduced you to her circle of friends, one of her friends was going to be your future spouse, and then one day uh, you guys would get married, and you would have kids, and then your one of your grandkids would eventually grow up to discover the cure for cancer, and thereby saving millions and millions of lives, but that never happened because you got a cup of coffee. <laughs> right? The whole idea is you just don't know. You don't know. You driving home from church this morning could set off an avalanche of consequences that could impact your life immediately. Whether you know it or not, the next day or the next week or a year from now or 10 years from now, 
you deciding to get a cup of coffee, deciding to drive this way to work versus that way to work, you deciding to have a conversation with this person versus that person could very well set off a series of events that could impact your life or someone else's life either immediately or years and years from now. But the point is you don't know. You have no control. You have no say in the matter. And I think if we really step back and looked at that, I know so often, uh, so I used to work with college students a lot and at our downtown church, like so many people just get wrapped up in their life when they, they kind of boil it down to these five major decisions of what's my major going to be? What kind of job am I going to get? What city am I going to end up in? Should I date this person versus that person? How many kids should I have? How should I think about retirement? And they think about these these broad categories of decision-making, and they are just paralyzed by it. They're constantly left analyzing, if I do this, then that might mean this. If I choose this major, I'm closing off the door to that major. And if I go to this city, I close off the door to that city. And they just get really paralyzed and don't make a decision when it comes to those big, important categories. But if you really step back and thought about everything that God knows and all of the impact that could have, it shouldn't be just the big decisions that freak us out. It should be even the tiniest decisions. The tiniest decisions in light of the infinite possibilities should freak us out. And the thing is, when we think about God's omniscience, God's omniscience was not this tool to crush us, to make us feel so small and insignificant. It wasn't meant to paralyze us with fears when it comes to decisions. God's omniscience was actually this uh, attribute to help us love him and to understand him and to experience healing from him. We see this in verse 3 of Psalm 147. It says, God heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. God knows everything, and he loves you, and he cares for you, and he calls you to simply trust and follow him. So in light of all of that, in light of God's omniscience, here's what this means for us. This means you aren't called to know everything, but you are called to know the one who does. When we think about God's omniscience, we aren't called to know everything, but we are called to know the one who does. So spend time knowing God. Spend time in his word because that's what matters. Because when you do, when you're deeply connected to the one who knows everything, who knows you better than you know yourself, you actually find rest. You find peace. You can find comfort knowing that when you make a decision, whether big or small, it's fine because you know that God's got you and you can just move on. Now, if you know more about a sports team or a video game or a television series than you do God's word, that's a problem because none of those things can actually enrich your soul and give you a life of love and meaning and significance. Only God and his word can do that. So spend time in his word consistently grounded in that because there's life to be had there. He knows what's best for you and he loves you. And the more we practice the things he's called us to do, the more we can actually experience what the New Testament writer Paul calls a peace that transcends all understanding. 
this idea of, I don't need to know everything, but I can know God. And when I do, when I really experience, when I'm deeply connected to God, it just rises above my circumstances. It rises above the things that I know or don't know. And I can just rest in him. I can have the peace that transcends all understanding. I don't need to know everything, and that's fine, because the God of the universe knows me, and I know him, and that's enough. And not only that, but right belief about God, spending time with God, it drives us into right practices with God. I trust God, and I know God. I know his thoughts are higher than my thoughts, and he's designed life to operate in a certain way because he knows what's best. He's omniscient, and I'm not, so I want to commit myself to the things he calls me to commit myself to. I want to give my life to community because that's what he says, and he knows better than me. I want to give my life to radical hospitality. I want to give my life to confessing sin often. I want to give my life to generosity because God in his infinite knowledge is telling me this is where the good life is found and I can simply trust and obey him. So pause for a moment. In light of all of that, can you imagine just how ridiculous it sounds that in the scope of everything that God knows when we want to disobey God. Just in light of God's omniscience, can you imagine how insane that sounds? God knows everything. God knows the universe. He is an expert at you better than yourself. He knows your future and all the infinite possibilities that it holds. He knows and has designed life to operate in a certain way that's best for you. And when you disobey, you are essentially saying, yeah, God, but I think I know better on this one. I think with my special set of circumstances, I don't know if you had that in mind, but I'm going to do this instead. I think I know better. Essentially, when we want to disobey, we are saying we are smarter than God to where the next time you are tempted to disobey, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would gently and bluntly remind you when you are wanting to disobey that the Holy Spirit would just tell you that is literally the dumbest thing you could think of. If God knows you better than you know yourself and he knows all future possibilities of your life, wouldn't it stand to reason he knows the best way you ought to live your life even if you disagree? Even if all of your passions, all of your desires are at war within you saying, but I don't want to obey God. God knows better. And we have to recognize we live in a culture and we live in a world where it says you are the expert on you. So go with your gut. Go with your feeling. Follow your passions and your desires because no one can tell you better than you. You are an expert at you. But when we see God's omniscience, we say no. We are not the expert, God is. So even if our desires and passions say otherwise, we ultimately submit to God because that's where the good life is found, in following him and not our own inner voice. Or I don't know if you've read these deconversion stories that are on the internet, they're in newspapers, they're very trendy right now, but deconversion stories are generally from people who they were Christians and they had a platform, they had this prominent leadership, but then something happened in their lives. Maybe they experienced a dark night of the soul or they experienced some doubt or depression and they couldn't reconcile it with God. And they would say something along the lines of, I can't believe God would allow for this 
to happen? Or if God is all loving and all, all powerful, then why did he allow this? Or I can't understand why God would allow this or not allow this. It doesn't make sense to me. I want to know. And essentially the heart of that is this desire to be the expert on things that God reserves the right to be an expert on and not you. God needs to know these things and not you. It's this, this idea in these deconversion stories, I'm smarter than God. And if I loved God, if God is really all powerful and all wise, then I demand to know the answer, but I'm not getting the answer. So I'm walking away from God. And in light of God's omniscience, can you imagine how illogical, how irrational that is? You don't even know with any shred of certainty what's going on in the world right now or even yourself. So how crazy is it to believe that we know better than God when it comes to pain and suffering? But God is all-knowing and he's good. So we can trust him. Trust that when you're going through doubt, or depression, or suffering, or a dark night of the soul, all of which is completely normal for followers of Jesus to go through, you can trust that his ways are higher than yours. You can trust that he loves you, so that even if you don't see a clear one-for-one one of why it's happening, you can trust him. And I know it, it feels right in the moment to just want to run away from God and to doubt him, but just step back for a moment put doubt on your doubts and just step back and see in light of who God is and what he has done, what that, is, what that means of me, what is still true, even when I'm going through this, to let that be the constant in your life, to let that anchor your soul no matter what. Because when we rest in this, that he is a good God who knows everything better than you know yourself, it gives you a life of peace. It gives you a life of joy a life that doesn't have to question or be racked by anxiety about things. When you understand that God is good and he knows everything, you actually have the freedom to say, I don't know. Like how freeing is that for your life? To just say, I don't know. You're not called to be the expert on everything. So when it comes to someone asking you, have you listened to this latest band? Have you watched this movie? Have you read that tweet that he sent out yesterday? Can you believe that? Have you read this recent report? Have you seen this latest study? Hey, have you seen that crazy YouTube video that everyone's talking about? You have the freedom to just say, I don't know. And that's okay. You don't have to go in a panic or start Googling in a fury if, if someone tells you something that you don't know because God knows everything. Now, of course, there's space to pursue knowledge and learning and growth, absolutely. But let's just understand, we're not called to be the experts on everything under the sun. It's impossible. We can simply pursue God and know him. And when we do, this actually draws us to a deeper reverence and a deeper worship and love for him and who he is. That's what we see all the way back in verse one of Psalm 147. Verse one says, praise the Lord. It is good to sing praises to our God. It is pleasant. A song of praise is fitting. The good life is not found in going inward. The good life is not found in self-discovery. The good life is found upward and worshiping God and who he is. The good life is found when we look at what God has done in our lives, when we remember all the things he has done in our lives that has led us up to this point. 
when we look back 2,000 years ago, how he sent his son Jesus to take on the sin and the death that we deserve, how he conquered death for us, he now invites us into the good life. That's where the good life is found in following him and trusting him. Look at what he has done. Therefore, in light of all of that, because we know what he has done for us, we can trust in him no matter what we are going through. So will you pray with me? And then we'll move on to a time of communion and song. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that we are not the experts and you are. Thank you that we are not called to know everything, but you do. God, I pray that that simple truth can humble us to see that you are God and we are not, and that is a good thing. We ultimately don't have control over our lives. You do, and that is a good thing. Help us be a people empowered by your Spirit to love the things that you love, to do the things that you call us to do, then to know the things that you call us to know. Remind us, empower us, teach us to be a people who are in family with one another, who wants to see our city transformed by the good news of your gospel. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.